Observability is becoming an increasingly competitive space in the software world. Many developers have heard of Datadog and New Relic, but there are a seemingly countless number of observability products out there. Kawasto Cease is the founder and CEO of NetData. His goal was to build an open-source platform that was high-resolution, real-time, and easily scalable. NetData is the result. It's relatively new to the crowded observability space, but it's grown into a major presence. Kawasto joins the show to talk about the design philosophy of NetData and how it inverts a common observability design pattern. This episode is hosted by Lee Acheson. Lee Acheson is a software architect, author, and thought leader on cloud computing and application modernization. His best-selling book, Architecting for Scale, is an essential resource for technical teams looking to maintain high availability and manage risk in their cloud environments. Lee is the host of his podcast, Modern Digital Business, produced for people looking to build and grow their digital business. Listen at mdb.fm. Follow Lee at softwarearchitectureinsights.com and see all his content at leeatchison.com. Costo, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, nice to meet you. We've worked together before a couple of years ago, but it's been a while. And and it was great when I got ready for this interview to go back and see all the things I think you've accomplished in the last couple of years. So hopefully we'll, we're going to get into that. But why don't we start out with how do you, NetData, how does it differ from other mainstream observability companies? I'm talking about companies like Datadog and New Relic, Dynatrace. How does NetData differ from those? So we're trying to solve the struggles, the common struggles. You know, the common struggles are hard to set up, tremendous amount of time to understand what you have to do, create the dashboards, you know, understand the metrics and the likes, create the alerts. That's one part. The second part is how to scale it, how to make this perform at a reasonable cost, and also how to make it as real-time as possible, let's say, because real-time and high-resolution metrics are really important, especially in today's environment, eh, where everything, eh, the microseconds count. So the idea with NetData was mainly to make a monitoring work out of the box. So unlimited metrics, full high resolutions per second data collection as a standard for all metrics, easy scalability, distributed, so no centralized server, not a single thing that has all your metrics and takes all the, the load. So you install the data all over the place and you configure if you want, if you have ephemeral servers or if you want to offload production systems, of course, you can have centralization points, but you can have as many as you want. And the next thing was to put inside the tool, to put all the skills that are required. So the understanding of each metric what the metrics do, what they mean, how they correlate, how they should be presented. All these are inside the tool. So you don't have to cherry pick. You don't have to know the metrics beforehand. We have a lot of users that actually use the tool to understand the metrics the other way around. Eh? This is opposite to the monitoring textbook. You know that better than me. So the monitoring textbook says, okay, you have to have a deep understanding of the metrics. You have to know what you want to monitor. And then... You have to create, collect metrics, make dashboards or alerts or whatever. Netdata is the opposite, exactly the opposite. So 
You don't know the metrics, you don't know anything, you just install it. It comes up with thousands of dashboards of metrics and hundreds of charts and amazing real-time dashboards by itself. And you learn and understand the infrastructure while you browse it, while you investigate, troubleshoot, or explore the infrastructure. You actually, you know, you have aha moments. eh? Oh, this thing has also this metric? Wow, that's great. eh? It's the opposite way. So it helps teach you what your application really is doing and not just, you don't have to be a metrics expert in order to understand it. Exactly, exactly. So the, the whole point is to allow everyone to have a monitoring solution as comprehensive and as, let's say, a 360 view on the infrastructure they have, similar to what Fortune 500 companies have. But you take it for free. It's there. It's, you just install it. You, don't do, you didn't do anything. So... Ease of setup, ease of learning and understanding how it works, ease of scalability, and real-time. That's really the value proposition that you focus Yes. On. At the same time, we solve a number of secondary problems. You know, monitoring is like most of the people build their own monitoring themselves. So they use tools like Prometheus, Grafana, and the likes. And most of the monitoring systems are like this. So they allow you to customize, of course, the monitoring system, but also configure everything by hand, yourself. This is a requirement for most of them. The problem with this is that once you start doing this, the monitoring itself has a life cycle like a software development. So in order to create a new dashboard, you have to see how you can collect the metrics, how much storage you need, what queries you need in order to render them, verify the dashboard that it is okay, etc., etc., You understand that this is very problematic, especially when there is fire. So when there is fire, you actually want something to visualize the metrics now. Now is the time that you need them. eh? If at that point you have to say, oh, wait a moment, we don't collect this metric. Let's figure it out. Let's have someone collect and visualize this metric, and then we can continue the investigation. You don't want that. That doesn't work when your application's down. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea is that we try to innovate. Let's take, for example, as I said before, Grafana. Grafana and all tools are amazing tools. eh? But let's take a, a chart. You see a chart. And this chart comes from a number of servers and it has a number of components in them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If the developer of the dashboard has not baked into the dashboard the ability for you to understand where the data are coming from, the only tool you have is to actually see the query. So you have to interpret the query to understand if the query is right, if it matches the right data. eh? And then you never have the ability to actually see where the data are really coming from. Okay, the query matches these labels and this stuff and these metrics, et cetera, et cetera, but how many metrics are actually matched? You can't see. What we did is on the user interface, we added a number of menus on every chart to actually allow people understand where the data are coming from. So every component, every server, every label has counters next to it showing how many metrics it matched for each of them, together with some statistics. This improves, you know, understanding. So you see in a data chart and you understand that this is where the data are coming from. I see it. It's not a query. It's not something cryptic. I can see it. It's just a few drop-down menus, and I can understand if all the data are there or which data are there. 
What's the source of that data? Is that auto-discovered during the initial setup process? Or this is some sort of rich data source as far as what the meaning of the data is that you are collecting, right? Where do you get that from? So the idea is the following. Data are coming. We have our own collectors. And then we use open metrics exporters, like Prometheus does, to actually collect metrics. In a Kubernetes environment, the, the metrics that exist in the microservice environment, there is a registry there, eh? ETCD or console or something else that knows all the endpoints of the infrastructure. So we scrape that. We collect all the data from the registry, and then we know where to connect and where to collect metrics. But in a data, when it is in standalone mode, so you install it on a server, not a, not a Kubernetes environment, so there is no registry. It auto-detects everything on the node it runs. So you install the data on every node. Eh? That's the idea. On every server, you install one data instance. This data instance will automatically figure it out that, okay, a Postgres is running here, or a MySQL, or an Nginx, or an HA proxy, or whatever it runs, and will start collecting metrics from it. In some cases, we are... For, let's assume that we detected a PostgreSQL. We connect to it, and, but it refuses. In this case, you need to configure the data to give us the password. Okay, With this username and this password, connect to the, to the SQL server to get the data. Eh? But in most of the cases, this is not needed. So for web servers, even if by default, for example, all the databases allow local host access without the password, then the data auto-detects that. And now we're adding the ability, instead of changing configuration files, to configure all our collectors. We have 800 collectors, something like that, to configure them from the UI. So you don't need to edit configuration files. So what I didn't tell you, and this is important, is that especially for infrastructure monitoring, you know, there are a lot of metrics that are constant. Take errors, for example. Errors is usually zero. And if we're talking about hardware, so you have you know, infrastructure on-prem and you have hardware, there are a ton of metrics in, in the, that the Linux kernel exposes and the various sensors that are just zero. So memory errors, EDAC errors, PCI, AER errors, so a, a ton of them, but are just zero. What we do is that we collect everything from everywhere, but as long as it is zero, we do nothing. We monitor it, we collect it, but you don't see a chart about it. There is nothing. The chart will automatically appear and an alert will automatically be attached to that chart once one error appears. <laughs> once the first real data appears is when you can start yes. doing that. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you know, let's talk about the different types of information that you can collect and where do you focus. Now, when I think about observability, there's three main categories of data that I usually think about. I think about events and logs, you know, things that are happening to your system. Think about metrics, which the way I describe metrics is that's the thing that describes a point in time state of the system. And then there's traces, like end-to-end -end request tracing. Where do you focus in that space? So we focus mainly on metrics. And the data traditionally is a metrics tool. But also traditionally, we convert logs in real time into metrics. So if you have a web server log file, for example, the data will provide amazing dashboards for this, for everything that it contains, out of the box. You don't need to do anything. You will have full dashboard, the errors, the redirects, the 500s, protocols, endpoints, everything. Now, 
recently we started shipping also a logs query system with NetData. So today, for example, you can query the journal files of uh, the systemd journal files. And actually, we have made also a few PRs on the systemd repository to improve its performance because it's slow. So the idea there is that from within the same UI, the fully automated UI of NetData, to be able to query logs that we don't have. We don't store the logs. So you may have an Elasticsearch, or you may have a Splunk, or you may have a Loki. Whatever you have, the idea is that you should be able to query these things from within the data. For the moment, we have implemented only the system in the journal. This is a recent development just last month. Actually, this is not released yet. We are going to release in the next release. And we plan to have in the next couple of months for all the others. So Loki, Elastic, etc. We also have a PR where we have our own log management system. Currently, we are stress testing it. So this probably is going to be merged in the next couple of months. So you'll be well into the event and log management space, but not the tracing space. You're staying out of that space or? Not tracing, tracing. yes. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you have to be very good at something and then progress. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I talked about in other podcast episodes, anyone who's listened to the podcast has heard me say this, but I find that observability companies tend to be excellent in one of those three, okay in more than one. They want to do all of them, but they're never great in all of them. And so, you know, like companies like New Relic, which is the one I'm the most familiar with, they obviously started as a metrics company. They added events, then they added logging. And now they add tracing. And well, guess what? They still are really great at metrics. They're okay at events, but they're not quite the same thing as other tracing companies yet. There's other companies that do tracing much better than they do. And same thing with those tracing companies. They tend not to do events and metrics as well. Datadog started out as a OS infrastructure monitoring company and moved into the APM metric space. And they're okay there, but they're not great there. So, you know, every company has their focus, which is great. And it's good to see what your focus is. Do you focus more on, would you say on what I would call infrastructure metrics more so than application metrics, or do you do both? So you have to do both. It's similar thing. eh? So you do both and then data does both. Our focus, however, is mainly on the standardization of monitoring of packaged applications and uh, operating systems and uh, uh, operating system components and the likes. Most of the value you can get out of the data is in this area, mainly because these are fully automated, so you you don't have to do anything. Of course, you can do your own application and we collect open metrics, we have StatsD, we have an API where you can push metrics to the data, but the customization needed is you have to do it. We don't know your metrics. It cannot be done because it's yours. So to understand the complexity, half of the time we spent in order to integrate an application, to collect metrics from an application, half of the time, is spent in correlating the metrics together, understanding the metrics, correlating them together, deciding the kind of presentation that the user should see at the end. So this is a big part of the analysis that needs to be done in order to have an effective and efficient monitoring eh, for troubleshooting and the likes, creating alerts, etc. 
So for APM, this is required. So and the tools that provide high a lot of customization features are the best. Of course, we have custom dashboards, and of course, you can correlate stuff. Of course, you can do all this stuff. But our key strength is if you need the monitoring today. The good thing with APM is that Nedata tries to figure it out. So even if you push your own metrics, Nedata will do its best <laughs> to provide automatic dashboards, you know, and correlate the stuff by itself. What I didn't tell you is that we have an ML component in Nedata, and this is actually open source. So Nedata trains an ML model, actually multiple ML models, per metric collected. No matter how many metrics collect, this is at the edge. We don't train somewhere else and we push the, the trained models, eh? the results. You're doing the training at the customer site. Right on spot, on the spot. Now, this means that we learn the metrics on the exact use case, on the exact load, on the exact whatever it is, the exact environment. This allows the data to visualize anomalies on every chart. So every chart has anomalies on the data, anomaly rate. And this is automatic on every chart. There's an anomaly ribbon above every chart that actually shows you what's the anomaly rate for the time frame you are viewing the chart. Now, the good thing is that we can correlate metrics based on anomalies. So let's assume that you have, for example, a server that is sitting down for a day. Nothing happens there. Eh? And then you log in. You just log in, eh? nothing, you SSH to it. You understand that at that point in time, a lot of metrics, really a lot, from disk, from network, from SSH server, application metrics, everything changed a bit. All these are anomalies. And Nedata has the ability to correlate all this on the fly. So although we have not predefined how these metrics correlate, APM metrics, for example, correlate, the application will figure it out based on anomalies. So... Let me see if I get this correct. You're able to tell that this spike in the CPU that occurred just now happened because an additional person logged in, for instance, and you're able to do that correlation and so not generate an alert because who cares? Someone just logged in. It's not really a problem. It's, it's a normal event. Yeah. We have plugins that collect utilization, resource utilization per application. And also we have an EBPF collector that collects also all the system calls that applications do, eh? and if they are successful or not, etc. All these are turned into metrics. So we know when the data is installed on a computer, on a server, we know all processes, what they do, what CPU utilization they have, we know all this stuff. Now, when you SSH to a server that, was, that you never did before, you understand that the CPU consumption of SSH server, SSHD, spikes. Eh? And new processes are created, your shell script or whatever it is. Memory consumption increases. Network traffic increases. Now, all this based on, because the server had trained a model that said, oh, I am sitting idle. I don't do anything. Suddenly, all these are anomalies. Okay? So by just doing this, you can see immediately what affected the thing. So you SSH to a server and suddenly you are going to see that the storage moved, the disk moved, the, <laughs> the memory increased, the CPU consumption increased of these processes. So this is fully automatic. You just highlight any region, you say rated by anomaly rate, and it gives you a sorted list of all the metrics that were anomalous by that time frame. And we have also another tool that we call it metric correlations. What this tool does is that you highlight a spike or a dive on a chart any chart, it doesn't matter. So let's assume that it is your, 
your business sales or your web server request per second or whatever. It doesn't matter. So you see a spike or a dive. You highlight that thing and then the engine, we implemented a scoring engine inside Metadata. It goes through all the metrics, all of them, across all the servers to find out what looks similar to that thing, what changed that significantly in that time frame that you have highlighted, similar to what you have highlighted. And it gives you a sorted list, a scored list of all the metrics across your network that look similar. It may find a spike when you have highlighted a dive and vice versa, eh? because it looks for changes, something that was similarly changed, not up or down. So the idea is that using this tool, you can see, for example, you know, your aha moment is there. You highlight a, a, a dive on your web server and you see, for example, that your database was slow or the storage was slow or the network had some issues or whatever it was. That was the idea. Eh? So these tools correlate metrics independently of the configuration. These are just mathematics. Eh? That's great. That's great. Yeah, so I want to talk more about that if we can, but I think we need to understand a little bit about how net data works and how it differs from other companies before I think we can understand that fully. And, you know, usually about now in an interview, one of the questions I'll ask an observability company is, are you SaaS? And usually the answer is pretty clear. You know, we're on-prem or yes, we're SaaS, what we'd call mostly SaaS. We have an agent, but, you know, mostly SaaS. But you're a little different. You're mostly on-prem and partially SaaS yeah. versus mostly SaaS and partially on-prem. That's kind of backwards. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and exactly how your architecture works from that standpoint? So, as I said, Nedata is a distributed monitoring system. So you install Nedata agents all over the place and the same software can also act as a centralization point. This is open source software. You install it on your servers, you put some centralization points as needed, and this is it. You are done. Now, because this is distributed, it needs some orchestration. So at some point, you need to say, for example, hey, which are all the metrics on my entire network? So we have something, let's say, a registry or an orchestrator of the entire thing. We call this a data cloud. This is a free offering too. So we give it to the community for free. Of course, the data can be used without it. The data cloud now, what knows, what it knows is how many servers you have, if they are online, what metrics they have, the, the names, not the values, just the, the keys, uh, the names that you collect system CPU, okay, or whatever these metrics, the metrics you have. And based on this, it can create dashboards across your infrastructure by querying the individual servers. So always when you see a chart on an al or an alarm, it always comes from your on-prem software. But if you want to view, for example, your infrastructure from anywhere, so your infrastructure is private, but you want to be at your home, log in and see it. Where do you go? You go to a SaaS offering. Now, we have a SaaS offering that is free, and it's the baseline, for example, to have for everyone. It's free forever. We ensure that no cost involved. And then on that SaaS offering, we offer things that features that enterprises mainly need. These are role-based access or the thing that I said, single sign-on, you know, stuff that enterprises need. And these are paid on the paid plan. 
Now, this works well. So today, let's say, this allows the data to be a lot more cost-efficient than anything else. So you don't have dedicated infrastructure on your prem. So you install the data everywhere. Not dedicated, so we just use resources that are spare inside your servers. And at the same time, with a very thin layer, we are able to provide full infrastructure level of use without any additional effort. This makes sense for when we talk about like server monitoring, for instance. It works well for that because you already you put an agent on the server and it collects the data on the server. The data stored on the server, mm-hmm. your data plane is entirely in your own premises. And mm-hmm. the only thing that goes on in the cloud is the correlation of what data you're collecting and the management it's of like that a registry. and the creation of the dashboard. A registry, a registry. It's a registry. The registry, right. But the data for those dashboards still comes directly from your infrastructure. Yes, and the alarms. Okay. So now we're releasing a mobile app. So you can receive, for example, alarms on the app. Eh? So alerts that come in are generated by your own infrastructure yes. in your, on your yes. own premise. Whether that's in the cloud or on-premise, doesn't matter. It's your yes. own infrastructure. Yes. Yeah. The idea with the implementation that we have is that it is distributed and they don't need to be on the same place. So you may have a server in China and one in, uh, I don't know, Europe and another in the U.S., We don't care. As long as, and these are private. All these servers are inside private lands. It's okay. They will connect on the data cloud, the registry, and via the registry, you will be able to access your servers. So you don't have to configure a registry yourself. You don't have to expose it to the internet. And for everything that needs to be done, for example, the mobile lab applications or whatever, or send pager duty notifications or whatever these are, the registry doesn't. So the agent sent these events to the registry and the registry sends them to the proper endpoint. Makes perfect sense. So you store the data on-premise, you generate the alerts and the events on-premise, you send them up and magic occurs it's a, um, it's a transport, let's say. Of the course, customer. there is code there. Eh? So this uh, data cloud, right, right. there is code because imagine this thing. You are on a dashboard that you have two servers. One server is in China, the other is the US. Great. Now, you want a dashboard with every chart coming from both. Who merges the data? So these servers sent the data to the data cloud, and the data cloud, without storing them on the fly, merges them and sends them to your browser. You tunnel the request is essentially exactly. what you're doing. So that you can access, you can have a unified view of your data, no matter where you are, and to no matter where your servers are. And that's how you avoid VPN issues, firewalls, and things like that as well, is you don't have to worry about any of those things. Nothing. You don't need anything. You just need, these servers are in private LAN, and they just need to do an outgoing connection to the registry. That's it. Two questions that come up. One of them is, so now you're storing the data and the events uh, creation all occurs on-prem. That means the machine learning algorithms and the AI that you're doing with the data has to also occur on-prem. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. So within the server, you're doing all that processing. Now, how much of a load is that for applications? Do applications need to plan for that and Rather than having 50 servers, they might need 52 servers because they need to generate capacity to handle this machine learning that goes on with the metrics. Okay, great question. 
So with ML and health and storage enabled, everything enabled, the data needs 5% of one CPU core. 5% of one CPU core. That's very If this is a lot, there are many servers that are sensitive. This is not allowed, for example, if you have a master database, you may not want this. And this is okay. What you do in this case is that you put a parent server, same software, open source, you put a parent server and you stream from the database server the data to the parent. Now, the child does not have anything there. It uses just one CPU, one percentage of a single core for its own you know, data collection and the streaming and the likes. And it offloads everything, ML, alerts, dashboarding, storage, everything is offloaded to the parent. This way, you have full flexibility. So you can keep it separate and isolated so it doesn't affect the performance of your application. Yes. And the parents are also used if you have DMZ, so you don't want your servers, for example, to connect to the internet directly. That's okay. Put a parent as a session border controller, as a session border gateway. So you put a parent there that on one side it is connected to your network, on the other side it's connected on the internet, and you have a broker there protecting your servers. And only Makes this sense. server needs now connection to the cloud and nothing else. Nothing else, just the one server. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this answers my second question too, which was how do you deal with cloud-owned components? So you're using wanting to monitor RDS, for instance, in AWS world. How do you do that? You do the same sort of model there. You launch a separate server and have it collect the data. You have two options. If it is a cloud-managed service, most likely you will have metrics in CloudWatch or something else. Of course, this is, has some cost. This is expensive. Eh? Not for us. You pay AWS or the cloud provider. Another option is if you have a server in AWS, you install the data on it, and you connect to your, the RDS as a remote database server. So you give it your Postgres credentials to collect statistics, and now this server on AWS knows exactly what is happening on your server. And actually, this is the preferred way, not only because of the cost, this is a lot cheaper, but also because you have full visibility on all metrics. On CloudWatch, not all metrics are available. But when you connect directly to the database server, you can collect all the metrics that are available, and per second. Well, all the database metrics, you can't all necessarily yes. get server-level metrics, yes. but you can certainly get database Even per metrics. index, per table, per index, per database instance, per everything. Huh? Now, this is not expensive. So the cheapest VM, let's say, on AWS, even the free, the one that is given for free, is perfectly capable for doing a few database servers, monitoring a few database servers, or some you know, shared components that are managed by the cloud provider. And once you do this, this is a normal agent. So as far as we are concerned, this is a local database. It's not on the same host, but it's a local database to that node. So once you do this, then everything will work. So you can merge. You can have a combined dashboard from two PostgreSQL servers, for example, one in AWS and another in Azure. And you can see them as one in the data because everything is the same, just different data sources for us. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. So that, that explains the cloud monitoring aspect as well, too. So it is right to say that you're mostly an on-prem system with 
the SaaS overlord, your registration system. That I have with, to tell you that we the, have a Fortune 500 companies that uh, use NetData that required to have NetData Cloud on-prem. We do offer this option. The data cloud is not a free software, unlike the agent. It's a thin layer compared to the agent. But if you need it on-prem, then you are a business. Eh? And we have to make money somehow. <laughs> so this is actually one of the key revenue search sources that we have. The data cloud on-prem. So your agents are open source. The net data cloud is where you make your money. Yes. But your core is an open source offering. Mm. So the agent is fully capable to be used as a standalone system itself. It doesn't need it. It doesn't require the cloud. And if you have a parent, if you centralize them in your metrics to one agent, then full infrastructure level dashboards are available there. Everything is there. Even the alerts will be centralized. Everything will be there. But if you want to scale further, so you need many, many, many parents because you have dispersed data centers all over the world, etc., or the infrastructure is too big, it cannot fit in a single server, then you need the cloud. And if you want it on-prem, then we have an offering even for on-prem. So one of the things you say on your website is you say one of the most starred open source projects on GitHub. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing statement. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? What exactly does that mean? Yes. So... When I released NetData, this is a funny story. So uh, I am developing NetData for a couple of years. A few friends of mine know about it. We use it on production. On the company I was working for, we're trying to solve problems with cloud providers and the likes. Successfully, we did solve them with NetData. So I am saying, okay, this is good. I have worked a couple of years on it. And now it's time to give it to the world. So I press the release button on the GitHub and nothing happens. <laughs> As you understand, nothing. Okay, I say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's say, uh, let's write a blog post. So I wrote a blog post and I asked a few online Linux-related, you know, sysadmin and DevOps-related articles, magazines to write it. They refused. <laughs> Where you go? We don't, <laughs> we don't care. So one morning I say, okay, let's go to Reddit and write a post there. Eh? Let's... Say, guys, and this post is still there. It was, guys, I wrote this thing. It probably can be helpful for you. Please check it if you like it. Eh? Thank you very much. Bye. And NetData managed to get 10,000 GitHub stars in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the fastest, probably the fastest growing GitHub project ever. It was featured also on the GitHub Octoverse for that year. Today, we have about 65, if I remember correctly, 65,000 GitHub stars. So this is the kind of, you know, the, the, this behavior is usually on, let's say, Google projects. Google projects usually take that many stars and they have this kind of activity. Also, the data is one of the most start projects in the CNCF landscape, although we are not incubating in, the, in CNCF. You know, CNCF wants to take control of the project. It wants to control what's the development, what's the future of the project. So we don't want this to happen. But the data is in the CNCF landscape. And I think we are about these days to pass in front of Elastic. We are the third or the fourth, something like this. So building a community, I have to tell you, was fun. Building this kind of community because most of the hard work has been done after I realized 
how much people needed such a solution. Because the problem of the company I was working for was done. We fixed it. Eh? So then when I realized that people really need this kind of solution, then I said, wait a moment. <laughs> Probably this is what we have to do. This is how we need to progress further. So one of the things that open source companies, that companies that have a solid open source creds and solid open source foundation, one of the things these companies will often struggle with is monetization, right? How do you take that open source product and make money out of it? And usually it involves some sort of enterprise play or customer support offering or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you went the enterprise option, but what capabilities, so besides the standard enterprise capabilities like single sign-on, those sorts of things, mm -hmm. what capabilities do you provide in your paid model that gives value over and above the open source model? What do people get when they buy into your enterprise model? Okay, so there are many models. As you probably know, there are many models of the open source. So to sell services or to sell an enterprise version of the software. So what I try to do here is something that has not been done before. What I wanted is NetData, the core of NetData, to be an open source, fully open source, without alternatives. So no enterprise version of it, nothing. I believe, you know, I am a big fan of open source myself. I believe that everything that I have become in my career is because of open source. Personally, I believe that open source is one of the miracles of the world. In a hundred years from now or so, probably people, when they look back among the other miracles that are happening around us, I believe that open source will be one of the major breakthroughs of humanity for this period. So I love it and I want to give back. I think that I took really a lot from the open source community, so I want to give back. And this way, I believe that Nedata, the, the agent, is a gift to the world. It's the core of Nedata, everything we do. I want it open source, always free, no enterprise version of it. That's it. It's the best and it's free. Now, in order to make money, you have to figure out for which features people will pay. Now, I wanted all the money, mainly because everything is done by the agent. You understand that all the core features of the monitoring are free, are inside the agent, even ML. We put it in the agent. Eh? The dashboards, the query engines, the, the health engine, everything is in the agent. So in order to make money, you need to find something that open source users may not need that much, but enterprises are willing to pay for it. This does not need to be something heavy in monitoring terms. It may be convenience. It may be, you know, something that you can live without if you are not a company, but you must have if you are a company. Collaboration features. So we are trying to find the right mix, the right separation, let's say, between the open source and the core monitoring features that we want them always free, and the must-haves for companies so that they are willing to pay. Of course, this is an experiment. Eh? We don't know yet if we are going to succeed. This is an experiment. I think, however, we see amazing love from a lot of big companies for net data. And the good thing is that they see... So the value they find in the data, I can't name them, but the idea is that even you have Fortune 500 companies that they have a monitoring team 
and they find that the data is actually more accurate and provides more insights and has more alerts than what they have built so far. So this is great. This is our success. So these companies are willing to pay to get the single sign-on and the peace of mind, eh? (laughs) the increased security. They pay for this stuff. So this is an experiment. We're trying to figure out where exactly the separation will be. So you, we're going to have to have a follow-on episode in a couple of years to, <laughs> yeah. to see how your, you know what your experiment's been going and how it's changed <laughs> and adjusted over time. Because it's I know we had this conversation a couple of years ago as well, and we <laughs> talked about this. Yeah. And it's great to see how it's matured over time. And, and I know it'll be that much more mature. Our commitment is that the core monitoring functionality should always be free. So the core monitoring functionality. And so that, that differs from a traditional PLG model, product-led growth model, where it's like, we'll give it away for free, but make it so that if people really like the product, then simply by using it, they'll want to p- start paying. This really is something different. This really is the enterprise pay, normal users don't pay model, where it's like you give everything that a normal free tier user would want for free forever, but take the things that the people who have money are able to or wanting to pay for that these community-driven users don't really care about. You know, like you say, enterprise-level collaboration tools, single sign-on, security, those sorts of things. And those are the things you charge for. The key thing here, Lee, is for this not to happen on the core monitoring features. For example, I don't want this because I want the free user or the user that cannot pay at the end of the day to have ML, to have metric correlations, to have proper troubleshooting tools, because we are also at the same time trying to improve the situation for everyone. So I don't want to take this out. The opposite, I want to give more for free. That makes sense. This actually leads me to my final question, you know, which is really, where are you going next? But I also want to prime it specifically with the phrase generative AI to see if that brings anything into your plans, if there's anything you're planning on doing with generative AI. But in general, I would like to know, what are you looking at? What's next for that data? So, especially for the AI, we are trying hard. You know, there is a presentation from Google in SRECON. I will be in SRECON in a couple of weeks this year. But a couple of years earlier, a guy from Google was in SRECON and said, The title of his presentation is that or our ML ideas are bad, about monitoring, of course, and observability. And explain that, you know, ML and monitoring, they don't go together. It's very hard, mainly because every server is unique. The workload, so even if you have two servers that are exactly the same, same data, same software, same hardware, same applications, everything the same, the workload determines what the metrics will do at the end of the day. So it's very hard to go and train models and say to the models what is good, what is bad, and how to detect anomalies and all this kind of stuff. So we tried hard to find a way for ML to be useful. In a data, ML is unsupervised, so you don't do anything. It just sits there, detects anomalies, colors this ribbon above every chart. We have a scoring engine that you can query it on the fly, but that's it. So the idea is how to turn ML not into a decision-making thing. eh? It's not mathematics to make it true-false, 
Uh, it is an alarm, it's not an alarm, but into a consultancy. So while you're troubleshooting, a male in a data is there to assist you. It will not decide to wake you up at 3 a.m. It will not. We have some cases where it's obvious that it should. For example, you have anomaly rate on 2,000 metrics on your network, all concurrently. Wait a moment. <laughs> something is happening. You have an attack. Something is broken. Something very bad is happening. Okay? So we're trying to find how we're going to make the most out of ML. But the data is a lot more than that. The ease of use that we're trying to give, because my goal is everyone in this world to have a monitoring system comparable to the one that Facebook has, that Netflix has, that Tesla has. Eh? So how you can have a monitoring system so capable as the one that Fortune 500 companies have. This is what we're trying to do with Nedata. This is what we're trying to give to the world. And for this to happen, we have a lot of fronts, really a lot of fronts. More integrations, more interoperability, better dashboarding, more transparency. So I think, and this is one of the things that I was always discussing with our investors, that it's a big project. It has 800 integrations. It has, you know, a big community. They need support. We need to understand all the use cases out there eh? and how to translate all these needs into software and implement it and give it to the world. Overall, I think that what we are doing with ML is on the right direction. So we are going step by step into what something that will make ML really useful for monitoring. And on the other side, I think that for the next couple of years, mainly to smooth, to polish everything that we have and improve it, improve interoperability because monitoring, you know, is you need to be interoperable. You cannot do everything alone. You have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, cool. So I really look forward to seeing what comes next and how you work. And it's interesting, the take on machine learning and AI and and your whole your whole emphasis there is very different than I hear from other companies. So it'll be interesting to see how that works, and hopefully it'll work well. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. My guest today has been Costa Siosis, who is the founder and chief executive officer at NetData. Costa, thank you so much for being on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much for hosting me.